name is Gavin. Uh, I'm a member of the church, have been a member of the church since the turn of the century. I'm married to Lucinda, who's a vicar now. She serves in a parish south of Cambridge and father to two teenagers and not father to dogs. You can't be a father to dogs, can you? I don't know. We've got two boisterous dogs at home anyway. So my wife and I still read stories to our children at bedtime. Even though they're both teenagers now, it's a great way of connecting with them at the end of a busy day. The superhero comedy adventure story I've been reading to Samuel recently is quite funny. And occasionally it will warn the reader not to think about rabbits. And of course, the reader fails and immediately starts thinking about rabbits. So the writer of the book uh, gives in and includes a story about rabbits in the middle of the narrative. In the same way, here we are at the beginning of December, reading through and thinking about a passage in Isaiah, which almost instantaneously leads us to thinking about Jesus. So I'll read it now and challenge you in the listening to it not to think about Jesus. We'll hold him off as long as possible in analysing what the passage has to teach us before inevitably talking about Jesus. So it says Isaiah chapter 42, and it's, if, you've got, if you're near a Bible, uh, it's on page 728 of our church Bibles. Isaiah chapter 42, page 728. The servant of the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. The creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So Isaiah 42 is one of the servant songs. And it's quoted in Matthew 18 as being fulfilled in Jesus. Oh no, I've already talked about Jesus. Never mind. And verse 1 is even more unhelpful, isn't it? And, and echoes what the voice from heaven speaks over Jesus as he's baptised by John. However, let's take our, do our best to take a backward step and look at the nature of this promised servant. I would like to consider the servant's intimacy and his authority. Firstly, and as these verses, early verses set out, there is an intimacy here. We are told that this servant would belong to and be supported by God. He is upheld by God and God claims ownership. He is chosen by God and God delights in him. God's own spirit will be on him. This is a connection which could not be closer. And the servant is charged with great responsibility to do the will of the one who sent him. There's also a great intimacy in the relationship between the servant and those he tends to. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. I love these verses as they evoke a tenderness that we do not normally associate with those with one in a position of greatness. This then leads us to consider the second aspect, that of the authority. The Spirit is on him to bring justice to the nations. That's a huge remit. However, it's the nature of that authority which is so absorbing to me. The authority is to be exercised with restraint, bringing peace and being in the business of healing broken lives. In looking at the nature of this authority of this servant, this passage is strongly reminiscent of the one in Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7 is one of the more notable passages in the lead up to Christmas. He who will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. This servant is the longed-for king, the Messiah to fulfill the Davidic covenant as king. But how can, be a, how can a servant be a king? This will be our country's first Christmas with a king on the throne for a very long time, beyond the memory or lifetime of the majority of us. The nature of our monarchy, thanks to the example of our late queen, has been one where we've been used to the idea of servanthood in the heart of the monarch. As she got older, the queen seemed to take herself less seriously as she took her faith more seriously, a trajectory we should all seek to emulate. However, Queen Elizabeth was many things, but she wasn't divine. The servant promised here is one who will establish justice on earth, having total power, and will open the eyes of the blind, free the captives, and release them from darkness. There would have been kings and queens, and indeed politicians throughout the centuries, who would have loved that degree of power over lives. But of course, that's impossible if you're not God. Those in authority would love to be in control of their people, 
while tending to them and providing for their needs. Throughout history, we have seen and are currently seeing earthly powers seeking to mould their subjects with a variety of draconian measures. But any cursory glance at the history books will tell us that their schemes and devices will fail. What we know as Christians is that substantial and lasting change in people and society, and here we can bring Jesus in, can only be brought about by following the servant king. Tim Keller's talk on this passage focuses on the nature of this authority. He talks about the servant who brings about the results of the king without resorting to the methods. Any king, any leader would love to bring, out, bring about wholesale change in society for good or ill. But because of their human nature, would be restricted in the ways of bringing this about. Time and again, systems and orders have sought these kind of results, but their methods have been draconian, corrupt, and damaging to the society they pretend to serve. Only Jesus enables individual lives to change and societies to flourish if we follow his methods. It seems so odd, doesn't it? Because we are conditioned as humans to expect power to be exercised in certain ways. But time and again, we see Jesus changing lives in ways which our worldly dictators can only dream of. I've been thinking a lot uh, recently about mission creep or mission drift in the last few weeks. How Christian organisations can easily move away from their Christian starting point. Coming back to these origin story passages is always helpful. The prophecy of Isaiah is giving us the essence of what to expect from our servant king. It is intimate it is authoritative, but it's not what we would expect from someone with such authority. It is so intimate that it would tend to each solitary wick, every single bruised reed. This is power deployed on an individual level. As a church, we're in the business of presenting this servant king to those around us. Therefore, we need to judge ourselves against the very essence of Jesus that this passage prophesies. There is a quiet tenderness at work here which hints at huge power. The song Meekness and Majesty started going through my head here as I was talking this talk, uh, preparing this talk. It was popular over 20 years ago now and I haven't heard it for a long time but I wanted to share a few lines with you. I'm hesitant as to whether I'm singing or reading. What do you think? Singing or reading, Jane? Singing, okay. Meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who is God, Lord of eternity, dwells in humanity, kneels in humility and washes our feet. I'll do <laughs> I didn't do it for a <laughs> I, I wait to be asked, Laurie. Um, 
This is the king who gets results without the method that we would expect. Therefore, in order to avoid mission creep, the Christian church has to know what it is to follow Jesus who is contra to all expectations. The church is to a great extent God's agent for establishing justice on the earth. We are called here through the example of Christ to minister to those around us with intimacy and authority. We know the power that is behind us when we minister with humility towards the bruised and the smoldering, and we must be among the hurting. Too often, power has become centralized, and the intimate care of the broken has been passed over to earthly authorities when God's people have turned away. But within this generation, I have seen a turning back to the essence of faith. I meet many who are extolling and exhibiting a keenness to minister towards the broken and the lost. May we all join in on the return towards this essence, the essence of this intimate, authoritative Jesus. If you're a smouldering and bruised person this morning, I'd love to pray with you after the service. And may you know Christ's justice and redemption as we continue the Advent journey. Amen.